This week on Cine Chill. It, that was one of those like magic serendipitous moments when I realized, oh, this is kind of special. If you don't have a camera on, it's just is mundane and it's just your life and it's nothing. But the second you turn a camera on, it becomes beautiful. It becomes art. While I was writing and while I was directing, I knew what the mood would be. I knew already what song would be where. I think, you know, the kinds of movies that I want to make are going to be movies where uh, they're very grounded, they're very real, and they make people feel seen. It's not that I wanted to be in their movies, it's that I wanted to be them. But I didn't know that that was possible because there were no Asian American female directors. And, and there's so few female directors, I didn't even know that was possible. Joining me today on this episode of Cine Chill is a writer, established actor, and now she's just directed her first feature film, which was selected for the South by Southwest Festival. I'm pleased to welcome Lin Chen. I Will Make You Mine is the third movie in a trilogy. So the first two movies, Surrogate Valentine and Daylight Savings, were made in 2011 and 2012. They both premiered at South by Southwest, and they were both written and directed by a man named Dave Boyle, who um, he's a filmmaker who uh, basically wanted to make these very low budget black and white movies centered around the life of real life musician Go Nakamura. And I was in the first movie and the second movie, more in the first movie. Uh, I played the love interest in it, a character named Rachel. And then uh, there was it was sort of like these buddy road trip movies um, with music, and they always ended with a cliffhanger ending, so you never knew who Go Nakamura ended up with. So in the second movie, um, there was more of a love triangle. He introduced two more female characters, Erica and Ye Ming, and um, another cliffhanger ending. So in 2012, when we toured with Daylight Savings, the second movie, Dave always joked. Uh, I, I took him seriously, but now he says he was joking. Uh, he said, this is going to be the lowest budget trilogy ever made. So I believed him when he said that it was going to be a trilogy. So when we went hiking about five years later, uh, I found my DVD, which said on it, um, the trilogy continues. So I was very curious what, what happened to these characters because I, as a fan of the movie, wanted to know who Go ends up with. So when I asked him while we were hiking, uh, when are you going to make the third movie? And he said, never. I just was so heartbroken. Um, and then in the next breath, I don't even know what compelled me to say it, but I said, what, what if I make it happen? I don't even know what I meant by that because I had never produced a movie. I had never directed a movie. I'd never written a movie. None of this. I've been an actor for three decades, but I had never really gone behind the camera and nor did I have any real interest in it, but I just said it. And when I said it, Dave, Dave looked a little surprised, but then he said, you can have it. Uh, I'll let you direct it and uh, I'll help you make it. And then when he said that, it just suddenly dawned on me, I got to give this a shot because Dave is a very established filmmaker. And if he's going to help me make this, then it's sort of like film school. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just felt like it was like this, this opportunity that I couldn't pass up. I just had to at least try. So that next day, it was the day before Thanksgiving, and um, I hopped on a flight to Boston and I just opened my laptop on the airplane and I the first scene just came to me immediately and I got really excited. And so I started writing and before I knew it, the flight was done and I had written half the script 
And then Thanksgiving happened and uh, I didn't want to be around the family. So I kept writing that script. And then on the flight back, I finished it up. And, uh, you know, so it had just been a couple of days after we had had our hike. And I sent him the PDF of the first draft and said, what do you think? And he said, this is pretty good. And so we basically went back and forth a little bit more. Uh, I, I wrote a few more drafts of it. And I was just getting more and more serious about it. I, I felt that the momentum was there and I just didn't want to let it die. So uh, we, I just kept pushing. And you know, initially we talked about having investors, but the more we talked about it, the more we realized because the movie is so low budget, we could probably just you know, do it ourselves. So that's what we did. We, we kickstarted the movie. We made it uh, a, a year later, uh, two days before Thanksgiving, we finished uh, the shoot. Uh, so it had been like a year's journey from writing it to actually having the entire thing in the can. That's incredible. So what was that process like for you? Like, what was the, okay, I'm going to make a movie. Did you read any books? Did you watch any like videos? Did you go to any classes or was it just kind of, I'm just going to be hands-on and just go for it? It was a combination of the two. I mean, on the one hand, I definitely, I had all the thoughts of like, who am I to do this? This is a very intimidating process. I didn't even go to film school. But then on the other hand, I thought, you know, I've been on so many movie sets, probably more than most directors, Definitely more than most first-time directors. You know, even if I have never been, sure. a, even if I've never been a PA, uh, I still know what it's like to be on a set, and especially a very low-budget indie set. So I knew through osmosis that it would feel, uh, I would feel at home because I, I've always felt at home on a set, even if I don't really pay attention to what's going on. So when I knew, <laughs> I when I actually when I knew that um, I was going to be directing, I was in China filming a movie called Go Back to China. And um, while I was in China, because I had nothing else to do, I didn't want to go back to my hotel and just sit there all day. On days that I wasn't shooting, I just showed up on set and I, I shadowed the director, Emily Ting, who actually ended up being one of my producers. So watching her getting to sit behind the monitor, it relaxed me a lot because I realized, oh, you know, I actually don't have to know how to light a room. I don't actually have to know everything <laughs> yeah. about camera angles. Those were the things that were very intimidating to me. So when it came time to actually shoot, and I remember I, um, I thought to myself, should I, do I do a shot list? And I asked Dave and he said, you know, I, I don't really do it. I can help you with it. Cause Dave was going to be my first AD also. And I remember I, I went on YouTube and I just watched every video on, <laughs> on how to do a shot list. And it was so intimidating, but at the same time, yeah. you know, I, I got, I got a general sense of it. And of course I, I wrote out my shot list and, um, and I didn't use any of it when oh, we got, really? yeah, once we got into the locations, it just became clear that, you know, we were just going to have to go with what felt right in the moment with the actors, because, um, a number of our actors had never acted before. Uh, two of them had acted in the other two movies, but they're not professional actors. They're musicians. And one of them was a child and she had never acted before. So it was a situation where, you know, we had to, we had to take into account both our location, um, trying to have a small footprint on the location, trying to get out of the location on time. And so like, I just wanted to do what I felt was right in the moment rather than um, trying to make everyone stick to a plan. 
Well, when you went on to say YouTube and you were Googling like shot lists and, and all this stuff, because it can become, you can get drowned in all that. And I think you could end up spending more time worried about time than actually worrying about what's happening on the screen and worrying about, you know, like the performances and, and like the logistics. So getting the AD is absolutely like the right thing for you to do. But the night before you were doing your first shoot, what was going through your mind what were you like most concerned about and how did you sort of like defeat those concerns you know the first day of shooting was actually my scenes that I was going to be in so I was already I had realized oh my god I didn't even memorize my lines so I had right (laughs) then and there you know just like aside from because I was my own costume person I was my own props person aside from preparing all those things I had to memorize lines so I really didn't have time to freak out. I was approaching it uh, once I had like everything, you know, set up in my car, ready to go for the next day. I just sat down and and memorized what I had to do um, and approached that just like any other shoot date that I would have um, filming as an actor. And so when I showed up, it was actually very, our, our crew was so small and it was so intimate and we were filming uh, just two people in my producer's house. So um, it felt so intimate and so familiar and like time had stood still because I had already filmed the first two movies with these, with this, most of the same crew. So it just felt like we were picking up after seven years and just going again. And because I trust Dave so much because he directed me in the first two movies, we've worked on other projects together. He's my producer. He was my everything and my first AD. I just trusted him. Uh, I, I just, and so by the time we were done with the first week, I, most of my footage was in the can. And so it, it felt more like any other acting job than anything else other than me just like making some decisions here and there, but people really just like left me alone when it came to, uh, putting out fires. I didn't have to deal with any of that. Thank God. And, um, I could just make, you know, like simple collaborative decisions with people. I felt like, in general, the people that I chose to surround me, I had worked with before and we had a shorthand and also I trusted their taste completely. So it was, it was, it was very easy, dare I say, um, that I had no stress that first week. And then once I stepped behind the camera, I mean, behind the monitor and I was directing actors, it totally changed, but in the greatest way, it just everything bloomed for me and I was able, I really loved it. I really loved just directing by that. By the time it was time for me to shoot my last scene, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to worry about my costume. I don't want to, I don't want to do any of these things that I normally have to do. I want to be out here with the rest of you guys playing. So, um, yeah, I feel like, um, for me, a lot of the worry and the stress that might come with most first time directors wasn't really there just because uh, I, I had surrounded myself with people I was so comfortable with. So it's given you the hunger to be doing more directing. Oh, absolutely. For sure. I, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever produce again. Um, <laughs> that I, I've noticed that that's not exactly my forte and it's not something I, I enjoy doing, but um, for sure, directing, for sure, writing. And, you know, I'm not dying to step in front of the camera and direct myself. I feel like we did that 
we don't need to keep doing that. You know, I'm not, I certainly, if I'm perfect for something great, but I just love the idea of giving opportunities to people who normally as an Asian American woman, I wouldn't be able to direct, you know, I wouldn't be able to even work with them because usually on, in a script, there's only room for one of us. And so I like the idea that I get to um, give those kinds of opportunities to other female Asian American actors. So if they can play it and it doesn't have to be me, then I'm happy to step back and just direct. And where did the influences come from? Like, is this something that you've always wanted to do? What got you into film? I did always want to be an actor. I've been performing since I was five. My mom... Uh, she was an opera singer at the Metropolitan Opera House for 35 years. She was in the ladies' chorus, and so I was in the children's chorus with her when I was a kid. So I did all the operas, and I did some uh, Broadway musicals, and you know, I did the whole like going into the city and doing commercials and, and small things. But um, and of course, I did the high school play. But uh, <laughs> when I went to college, it was always a, a thing of like, we got to see if there's other things out there because I knew how difficult it was to be a performer, even though I loved it so much. I, I, I was practical about it. So I, I didn't study theater in college. And when I graduated, um, immediately I went right back into acting. Um, so uh, I, I, I feel like most of my professional career has been this push and pull of me doing the acting thing. And then when things slow down, me wondering, oh, what else is out there? And of course, during all those times when things were a little bit slow, I, um, I thought about, oh, maybe I should um, write or produce. Everyone always said, Lynn, you should produce because you know everybody and you can connect people. And um, I thought about it, but I just, I, I, I could never quite get myself there. And that's why I think the whole moment with Dave was so important because I felt like that was that was a moment that I felt things would, would actually happen. It didn't feel forced. It felt like a opportunity that I just couldn't pass up. And in the past, I just felt like I would, I would be forcing a situation um, that wasn't really like just to do it. You know, you should do it just because you should, you should write this kind of a pilot because you should. And I didn't, um, it never felt uh, true to me. So I don't know if I'll feel that way again. I know that that kind of is like a magical formula that what happened with this movie. Um, but that said, I do feel as though I do have many more stories to tell. And going back to what you asked before, if, did I always know? I always knew I wanted to be a performer or an actor, but I never knew that. And I always loved film. Um, that was always my preferred medium. I, I always loved watching movies when I was, even when I was a kid, my first movie that I ever watched was like Amadeus. And I watched oh, it. Really? Over, yeah. It was one of my favorite movies, still one of my favorite movies. And so I, I watched movies maybe, you know, like once, once a day when we were, when the theaters were open, I would go sometimes twice a day to go see a movie. So I just love movies. And I think in the past, I I always thought like when I would see like a movie by some of my film, favorite filmmakers like Richard Linklater or Spike Lee, um, you know, these real auteurs that I, I always thought, I always thought I, I want to be in one of their movies, which I do. I, it's not that I don't, but what I realized was it's not that I wanted to be in their movies. It's that I wanted to be them, but I didn't know that that was possible because there were no Asian American female directors and, and there's so few female directors. I didn't even know that was possible. So really what it is, is that I want to tell stories like that, but I didn't know it because I just didn't think it was a reality. 
I don't see people as male filmmakers or female filmmakers. I just see them as filmmakers. And if you're making good stuff, that to me was what it's about. Have you seen the movie Blue Jay? Yes, I, I have. Yes. So your film reminded me of that film, like the look of it. And mm-hmm. that is one of my favorite recent films. So the cinematography is gorgeous. And I know it's black and white and your film's black and white. Thank you. Um, and I love just the simplicity of, of what was going on. I didn't read anything about it before I started watching it. I didn't read the press notes because I don't want to have like a preconception of what I'm about to see. I just want it to start. And, you know, when it started, it was like, this might be a like a documentary or, or do you know what I mean? Like I didn't have any idea what it was going to be when it started and there was that music and it all sorts of cut together. First thing I, I like I was relieved about was this is really good. This technically excellent. You know, the sound's perfect. It looks lovely. It's no surprise that it was accepted into South by Southwest. I hope it does get on the big screen. I know you've got a release coming out soon. It comes out, I believe, on a Tuesday. It's May 26th. Oh, right, okay. Um, and yeah, right after Memorial Day, I believe it is. Pre orders oh, yeah. going on right now on Apple TV, but on May 26th, it'll be available everywhere, everywhere that you would uh, get streaming. So, yeah, what other movies did you fall in love with when you were younger and that kind of shaped how you are as a filmmaker now? Uh, you know, when I went to college, it was during the time of Pulp Fiction. And Pulp Fiction had just come out. And I remember. When I went to go see it, it just blew me away. Uh, I like it blew away so many other people, but it, it opened me up. You know, it's a very transformative time of anyone's life when you go off to college. Mm-hmm. But it was the first time I heard of this concept of indie film. And back then, you know, it really was independent film. Uh, I, yeah. I went down like a deep dive of, of Quentin Tarantino's other movies. And then I started going to little art house theaters. So I started, I remember I saw the Spike and Mike animation um, and uh, all of the Ardman animation classics that, um, you know, were, this is like when Wallace and Gromit before it became a feature oh, okay. film. So like small, uh, yeah. like their shorts that they had done. And I just loved um, any, I love the feeling of, independent film because it feels so intimate and real. I think because I spent so much time by myself as a kid, I feel like those moments that are what you were, you were describing before someone being very still um, and at home that like, if you don't have a camera on, it's just is mundane and it's just your life and it's nothing. But the second you turn a camera on, it becomes beautiful. It becomes art. And those are, those are the things that I attach to more just because when I go to see uh, a movie. I mean, I go for many reasons, but sometimes the reason I go is just to see myself reflected on screen. I don't need to see things blow up or aliens come down and abduct me because that doesn't feel very real to my life. I might go if I'm like, I need to escape, but um, for yeah. the most part, it's because I want to be, feel validated. So I think, you know, the kinds of movies that I want to make are going to be movies where uh, they're very grounded, they're very real, and they make people feel seen. If you got offered a Marvel movie after this, like, right, we want to remake, I don't know, Iron Man, you would be like, mm, don't, I don't think I'm going to do it. I, I'll do it if it can be in black and white and it <laughs> don't have any crashes and he doesn't wear a costume and his name's not Iron Man and there's no superhero stuff, then I'm, in, then I'm on board. I mean, I um, think they would have to know that there would be some stylistic choices that they probably wouldn't be a fan <laughs> of. But, you know, that, that's that I, I think I'm going to grow a lot as a filmmaker and I don't know what direction that will take me in. I know definitely my next movie, no matter what I do, it will be in color and it will be gorgeous. <laughs> 
<laughs> it will be have a color palette that will uh, be of the, the rainbow um, because I just want to try to do different things. But that said, I still think the stories I know how to tell are those of the everyday person. What about the process with editing? And were you sat in with the editor while this was going on, or would you leave them to it and then they'd send you cuts? What was that process like? Well, it's actually funny because my husband was my editor. So we initially talked when we were entering post-production about you know hiring an editor to do it and realized, well, why would we spend the money on that when Lynn's husband is a very established editor and could do it for free at night when he gets home and they could do it together. And um, that sounded like a great idea initially. And then, <laughs> I was like, you're still together. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been together for 22 years, and I will say oh, nice. it, it was definitely uh, a challenge. It was definitely something new for our relationship that we thought we had everything figured out, and then suddenly we're like, <laughs> what is happening? But um, that said, it was great for me because I was there for every step of everything. I was right by sure. his side, and what would happen would be he'd go and work on his day job editing all day in his cave, <laughs> come home, uh, I'd give him like an hour to not look at a screen. And then he'd sit down and edit a scene with me. But we really took our time with it. You know, I'd watch dailies during the day. So I had a real sense of what I wanted. And I know how to, mm-hmm. I know how to do basic edits. So like if I wanted to cut together two things just to see if it would work, so we didn't waste time, I would do that by myself. And then he'd come home and we'd, right. we'd fine tune it. But um it, it was really great because I don't think with any other editor, I would have been able to do what I did where he, he would give me his professional advice, which would be, I don't think that's going to work. And I would say, I, I know that's what you think, but I just need you to show me. And then 40 minutes later, he's right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, okay, now I know moving on. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do that with just anyone, especially when I'm paying them. Um, and so having him there was really helpful because some moments he was right. And some moments I was right. And yeah. so I really did get the exact cut, the exact movie that I wanted. There was never any question in my mind uh, if there could have been something else because I really poured through every single possibility with him and um, was obsessive about it. And he understands I'm obsessive. And so that's why it turned out okay with that for us. It's a very subjective thing as well, editing. You know, some people like scenes to be fast moving, fast caught, and then other people like to those scenes to breathe. That show, Better Call Saul, I've been watching that a lot recently. And there's so many scenes in that where they just leave the camera lingering for such a long time. And I love that. I don't like things when it's just like cuts really, really fast. And I noticed with your film, the scenes just could breathe. It just felt like natural, which is one of the hardest things I think to get right. The music was beautiful in it as well. I mean, it could have been like a musical because there was so much song sort of telling the story in a way. Yeah, it is definitely a music movie. Um, and all the music that was done for it, uh, with it was Go Nakamura and Ye Ming's music. They were both uh, star, starring in the movie. And all of their songs uh, were already written, ex- with the exception of two songs uh, that were written for the movie. But um, well, that was really great because I had these songs in my head um, while I was writing, and while I was like, while I was writing and while I was directing, I knew what the mood would be. I knew already what song would be where, 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's extremely helpful because I, I don't think you usually have that luxury of knowing uh, I'm going to have this song here and I'm, I already have the rights to it. You know, like not having to worry yeah. about about that. It, there was no temp soundtrack. It was what it was, what we wanted to use of Go and Ye Mings they were going to let us use, which was amazing. So, um, I, you know, the song I Will Make You Mine, which is the namesake of the movie, um, it was actually a song that already existed. And I honestly chose it because I went down a list of Ye Mings songs and I thought I Will Make You Mine sounded like a great name for a movie. And then as we started to, as I started to write the script, I realized without even trying that the lyrics made sense <laughs> that like they actually went in, they, they made sense with the, the plot of the movie, uh, which was not intentional at all. And it, that was one of those like magic serendipitous moments when I realized, oh, this is kind of special. <laughs> that it just happens to fit in so easily. Cut! 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 I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you can share this episode and subscribe. On each podcast, filmmakers talk about their process and their journey. On the next episode, I'll be joined by Xander and Elliot Weaver, whose no-budget feature film, Cosmos, got a distribution deal which led to a theatrical release in America. If somebody had come and dropped that five million quid on our desk while we were making it, Cosmos, we'd have gone, you know what, actually, we're fine. Like, we really love what we're doing. So that's what we've got coming up in the next episode. But right now, let's get back to this week's guest. City Chill. And action! It's a very interesting title. And when I first saw it, it could have been anything from a drama to it could have been a horror movie like i will make you mine like single white female two or fatal attraction type vibe i will make you mine but the way it plays in in your film it just makes perfect sense what the first thing i thought was please don't be a horror movie i'm not great with horror <laughs> and i've already said oh fantastic send me it over i'll watch it it had even like some like terrifying psycho thing like yeah it was really good yeah, I'm not good with horror. I'm not either. But maybe, I, you know, I've been in a horror film, and after I did it, I was... Oh, really? Which one? It's called Dying to Kill, and after I made I it... I like, chances are I've not seen it, but I mean, it could have been, like, the most known horror film on the planet. I'm like, yeah, not seen it. But after I did it, I had so much respect for the genre, just because it's so much imagination and so much about the makeup um, that, like, it just is... It's a true exercise in acting, because you're really going from like eating craft service on the side to like running for your life and <laughs> having a limb chopped off. It's, it's, it's fantastic in that sense, but, uh, I'm not, I'm definitely not a horror expert by any means. I, I wouldn't even know how to go about <laughs> doing it. I just watched the invisible man, which was brilliant. Very disturbing because you could, it's kind of, there's a lot of believability to it. And I don't usually go for that type of movie. Definitely one for the daytime. Okay. And then watch a nice Disney film like afterwards. <laughs> what is the situation now with the film festivals? Are you going to hopefully get them in like next year or is it going to be that there's the boat sailed now and you're just going to concentrate for um, on demand or? Well, since we had already sold the movie before, um, before right. South by, we already had our, we have our, our date in place, which was May 26th. And so what our initial plan was to do South by world, world premiere South by, and then do a very short spring film festival, um, mm. tour. And we had like eight or nine festivals that we were planning to do that have all since been canceled or postponed. So, the we're what we're planning to do and we don't know what will where the state of the theaters will be in may 
So uh, kindly, the a lot of these festivals have said that they'll still screen us in fall, even though our movie will have been distributed, because normally mm-hmm. a film festival wouldn't do that. They wouldn't um, play something that's already available on, on demand, but because of the circumstances, sure. they will. And because of all of that, um, because the movie is so cinematic and it is a music movie, and I do feel it needs to be uh, shown to audiences. I still want to do something when, you know, things calm down and we're able to get into theaters again, uh, either if it's, you know, film festivals or if it's going to be, uh, like I was even thinking like a college tour, um, of going around to different colleges because, uh, I think, you know, in terms of Asian American cinema, and this is a pretty unique movie in the sense that this is a movie where you have all Asian American leads, but nobody's talking about their family history or the culture, you know, they're just, they're just Asian. They just happen to be Asian. And that's very rare, um, in Asian American cinema. So I would love to go in and, you know, to some Asian American studies class, whoever has the money <laughs> to bring us out right. and, and let us show um, and get, get us in front of an audience. Cause you know, part of the reason I did this whole thing was because I wanted the filmmaker experience of being able to connect with audiences and, and do Q and A's and, and experience, you know, having them experience it on the big screen. I've been an actor a really long time and I've been, at film festivals as an actor, I know what it's like, but I wanted to do it with my movie um, as the storyteller, not as the person on screen that people are just used to connecting with in that way. I wanted to be able to tell the story of why I was, um, how it how it all came about. It's the icing on the cake, isn't it? It's like you've made this movie, you've put everything into it, and then the ultimate is having it played on a big screen with a packed out audience. I think that's why most filmmakers make films to have that denied of you. It's just not fair. So um, I hope it does get on the big screen. And I think people will, they will love this movie because it it is so original and it is so charming. It was just a a joy to watch. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) It's really nice just to watch something that's fresh and new. And do you think now that you've done this, are you going to direct more? Have you got more projects in the pipeline? I sure hope that I will direct more. You know, there's nothing immediate right now. I've I've been taking some meetings um, and there's some interesting potential projects, but um, I'm not in a rush because I know, you know, I'm used to as an actor being offered something or or auditioning for something and not loving Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, it's fine because it's only a month or at the most three or four months of your life. Uh, And then you let go of it. But, But filmmaking is years of your life. So for me, I'm not in a, I'm not in a rush to get involved into the next thing unless I love it. Um, because I can fulfill, I'm lucky in that I can fulfill that artistic itch with acting. Uh, if I do want to, um, I can just, you know, be in something that I I don't really care about just so I can like satisfy that, that part of me that needs to perform. But when it comes to filmmaking, I think with the amount of work that you put into it, you have to completely connect and love it. At least I know that I would, cause I felt like I was going to go nuts every now and then. <laughs> and, uh, and the only thing that got me through it was thinking, you know, it, cause I kept asking myself, what am I doing this for? But at the end of the day, I would know why I was doing it. It was cause I loved my movie. And so I feel like yeah. if I don't love my movie, if I don't love the project and if I don't love the people involved and, and all these other things, then it kind of isn't worth 
putting that much of sacrificing, literally sacrificing so much of yourself to it, unless it's worth it. They say filmmaking is all about fixing problems. And I agree with that. So what was the biggest problem that you had that you thought at the time, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to get through this? Well, um, I feel like probably the biggest thing was when we were testing it, and, uh, you know, it was when the movie was already done and there was really like no option other than to do reshoots if something didn't mm-hmm. work out. And when we were showing it, people weren't quite understanding the, the, the feeling that, you know, I think because it was a trilogy and I was so familiar with Go from the last two movies, I had that sure. nostalgic feeling for him. And to me, it was immediate when I saw, when I see him on, on screen, I, I immediately remember everything, but that's not the case mm-hmm. for most people, especially people who've never even heard of Go, you know? And um, yeah. so for me, it was, oh, how do we get the audience to see who he used to be and so they can get nostalgic too? And we mm. thought about doing reshoots, but then ultimately what we ended up doing um, was just breaking into footage from 2011 that had never been used oh, really? of, him, of him. So the first shot you see is footage that was filmed in 2011 that was unused. And we just made another music video to it um, to introduce the other characters. And that way you get to see who he used to be. And so when you see him, you understand, oh, this guy used to be somebody. Um, and mm-hmm. you, and you're, we're all coming on in on the same level. But, you know, I that was such like an intangible feeling that I wasn't mm-hmm. able to know until, you know, we got into the edit room and was were testing it for people. That's not something I, I think I could have written. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think in the future, when I do direct, I do have to think a little bit more about what I think the overall feeling I want to leave my audience with to be rather than just focusing on story and all the other technical stuff. Uh, I have to think about that because I think every movie does leave you with some sort of a feeling. And if it's not written in, then you have to sort of think about what that will be and how you're going to achieve it. And so I do think that had I had I thought about that, we're lucky, you know, we happen to have footage from before. Um, mm-hmm. But had I thought about that, I I would have I might have taken time to to film another day or film more cover do more coverage, uh, just so that we could establish those feelings more. How hard was it to sell the film? A lot of filmmakers struggle with that side of it. They make this great piece of work and then. It just ends up on like YouTube or Vimeo and, you know, just get seen. And people, a lot of people don't really get that side of it. Now, obviously, with you being an, an actor and you've in that industry, did you think that made it easier for you to sell this film? Did you use an agent? What was that process? Well, we were very lucky in the sense that it was kind of the perfect storm of everything. I had just gotten, we just gotten into South by Southwest. And at that same time, we were, as we were getting ready to go, it was just like, the the other movie I had filmed in China, Go Back to China, was being um, distributed by Gravitas, and one of my producers mm-hmm. uh, worked on um, work, that was her movie. So the Gravitas was already familiar with me. Gravitas had already done the first two movies. So for us, it was just you know call, picking up a phone and calling them, and you know our our friends at Gravitas and saying, "Hey, we have another movie for you." One that you already know are familiar with from the previous two that you are also responsible for. Mm -hmm. So that I wouldn't, I dare say it wasn't easy, but I think that all the elements were right. It was kind of a no brainer. The movie was going to South by 
And even though like, it's not like, you know, a black and white film with all Asian faces, no stars, it's not exactly uh, like, uh, like, oh, no brainer. But like at the same time, mm-hmm. because we had the relationships and because of our past with them, I think that's why um, it ended up just being a perfect fit. And I thought all the performances were great. There was a very honest and realistic feel to all these characters. They did feel like the characters, they didn't feel like people playing characters. Did you find from being an actor, do you think that helped you as a director to work with other actors? I definitely think my experience as an actor helped me, but also I I didn't have a casting director on this. I just cast my friends and the people I ended up casting, I knew already would be able to do what I was asking them to do. And I also made it very mm-hmm. clear to them that they could make the part their own. If you know mm-hmm. a line was sticking with them and they couldn't didn't feel comfortable with it, we could talk about it. We could change things around. We could work around it. Um, I do think that, you know, as an actor, because I've worked for so long and had to, you know, go into my little tool bag of tricks for each one, um, whenever somebody was having difficulty nailing what I wanted them to do, it was much easier for me because I've been doing it for so long just to go through my bag of tricks with them. We would just unpack it Mm -hmm. together and just start, you know, thinking of different ways to approach it just so that we could get what I was, what I was trying to go for, um, by using, you know, different methods that I had used in the past. What would you say to anyone who's looking to make their own movie? It's the first time movie they're going to do. What piece of advice would you give them? You know, I think that you, going back to what we were saying before about it being something you absolutely love. I I really do believe that you have to have a true meaningful connection to the work, meaning that like, it's something that brings you happiness and joy and fulfills you in a way, um, that nobody else can not from somebody else saying that they'll do it with you or, or that you envision it'll go somewhere. It it has to come from yourself because there's going to be so many moments where you're just going to want to give up and where people will not be on your side and where you really feel like you're alone in this and you have to trust where you're coming from. Uh, there were, there were a couple of moments when I, when I felt like, oh, you know what, this was a really expensive mistake. Maybe I'll just never show it to anybody. And and I suddenly understood, you know, I've been part of so many indie films that I've, that I've been in that have never seen the light of day, you know, where just the project just died. It, it, it was in the can and then I never heard anything again. And, and I suddenly, I I understood all those people. Like I used to be like, come on, finish what you started, but then I got it. You know, there's so many moments where you're in that edit room and you just think, what have I done? This is not what I wanted to do. And then when you hear feedback, that's, you know, telling you exactly that, um, you just want to give up. You don't want to show it to anybody. So I feel like if you have that kernel of connection where you know that this is what you're supposed to be doing and this is what you want to be doing. Um, I think you have to hold true to that and just hold on really, really tight because it is hard when the winds are blowing (laughs) and they're being so negative and it's so hard to just like let go of it and get lost. But if you just hold on to it, um, it's surprising how things will work out. And in the end, um, people connect and that is the journey. And that makes you, that makes it so that you can do another one. Like I know that I can do another one now, um, because I, I went through all the hardships, 
and I, I know that it's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Cine Chill. The film's called I Will Make You Mine. Remind the audience again, when can they see it? Where can they get it from? And where can they find out more about you? It's May 26th is when it's um, going to be released on demand. And uh, you can pre-order it at Apple TV. And if you want to find out more about the movie, go to IWillMakeYouMine.com. We're going to try to figure out like some ways to um, like do like a virtual Q&A, maybe on Instagram or something like that. There's all it's a whole new world out there. <laughs> so we'll figure it out together. Uh, Lynn, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. No, that's it. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for everything. And that's it for this episode. And as always, a big thank you to Lynn for taking the time to chat with us. You can find out more information about Lynn and all our guests by going over to our website, cinechill.com, where you can find the episode page for this podcast and where to connect with Lynn and watch her film. If you did like this episode, go to iTunes, leave a review and subscribe. It takes seconds and it will really help us. But until next time, thanks for listening.